And the title is Rules Without Relationships Equal Rebellion. Everybody say that with me. Rules without relationships equal rebellion. And all of you are nodding your heads like I've experienced either being rebellious or I've experienced trying to enforce rules. We've been on one end or the other with it. And some of the most rebellious, complaining people that are ever recorded in history in detail are the children of Israel when they are sent to the backside of the desert for 40 years. The reason why they stayed on the backside of the desert for 40 years is because they complained themselves into the desert for 40 years. They were meant to take a 13-day journey from Egypt to their promised land, and that 13-day journey turned into a 40-year expedition. It does not take that long to get from Egypt to, the, to Israel, walking, even with all those people. If you're dragging your feet, it might take two weeks. It does not take 40 years to go from Egypt to Israel. But they complained themselves into a 40-year expedition, which turned into a revelation of rules without relationships equal rebellion. Now I'm going to get into a little bit of history with you all because you know I like history and archaeology, and then we'll get into spirituality, and then we'll get into psychology because the bridge between the body and the spirit is your mind. So we're going to open up our minds, we're going to dust off some history, and we're going to include a little bit of psychology. Are you ready to take a journey with me? I promise it won't take 40 years. So in the first dispensation, when God created the heavens and the earth, that is the dispensation of creation. Then the second dispensation around the era of the Tower of Babel is the dispensation of human government. Then the third dispensation comes in, and there's this dispensation of law. And that's where Moses comes in. But in between the dispensations of human government and the dispensation of law, the only way to communicate with God was to have a relationship with God because there was no law or standard that God had to hold you to because they hadn't been recorded yet. So it was based entirely on your ear and your heart and your spirit as to what you received from God and more so what you gave back to God. This is the era where Abraham makes his sacrifices according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the era where Abraham is called the friend of God or the father of faith. This is the era when Abraham actually walks with God commonly, speaks with him in his tent. Whereas in a few hundred years, we find that Moses has to be hidden by the hand of God, otherwise he would be incinerated by his presence. Same God, same bloodline, different circumstances. Because as people changed, God had to change how he dealt with his people. Just like you don't deal with a two-year-old the same way you do with a 20-year-old. Well, I don't know. It depends on the 20-year-old. <laughs> so as God watched people change and watched human government evolve, he had to change and evolve the way he dealt with his people. 
Some of the most famous parts of this era of human government is whenever we see the Tower of Babel and the, and the division of human language and people dispersed throughout the entire world, walking to all four corners of the land. And we see the story of creation begin to evolve in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. If you take all of the original religions, the original five religions, and trace them back through history, they have one common thread. They all end up being monotheistic, eventually. They all end up having a singular being with cognitive thought and purposeful creation, and they all start with two people. Because the Tower of Babel, or the origin of language, whenever it was broken and divided, the story was broken and divided and dispersed throughout the land. So the relationship that mankind had with God is similar to the very different levels of communication that we have with God today. Some of us can instantly speak with God in a moment's breath and we get an answer. Some of us have to cry and snot and pray and beat our heads against the floor just so that we get a whisper from God. Some of us can have visions in the middle of the day and have direct communication with God, and there it is, imparted into our hearts, into our minds, and into our spirits, and others of us will never see a vision in the entirety of our life. Just as the human language was divided and dispersed throughout the land, the language at which people began to speak with God was divided and dispersed throughout the land. And these same varieties are still displayed today spiritually throughout mankind. There are actually seven different forms of communication that you can have with God. You can hear God in an audible voice like we see in the scripture in Matthew where Yahweh looks down at Jesus and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was not the only person who heard that voice. You can have an animal speak to you through the voice of God. Whenever there was a certain man trying to go into a city, there was an angel standing there with a flaming sword ready to kill him, Balaam, and there was a jackass that spoke up and said, no, I'm not going that way because he could see the angel, but the man could not. That's a totally different Bible study about how, angel, how animals see spirits and people don't sometimes, but that's just a totally... I will not melt anybody's brains this morning. I'm going to try not to. We'll get there. Sometimes God will use nature to communicate with people just as he took his hand and shaped it into a cloud before Elijah. Sometimes he will use the elements to communicate with man as Elijah was on the side of a mountaintop and he heard... A great whirlwind, he felt an earthquake and he saw a fire, but the small still voice that came after it was the voice of God. So there are all different forms of communication with God. But those forms of communication require relationships. And if you don't have a certain kind of relationship with God, you won't meet that kind of communication with God. Make sense? Just like if somebody comes to my house, depending on who it is, depends on whether or not I open the door. I might pretend like I'm still sleeping. 
peek my head around the corner, see who it is, lean back and go sit down on the couch. Or I may run to the back door, swing it wide open, grab who's ever standing there, pull them inside the house, feed them, and make sure that they have a good time and we speak well with each other. It all depends on what kind of communication that person has with me. Now, if I'm designed and created in the likeness and image of God, that means that I would say God probably has similar thoughts about some of us. Oop. What kind of relationship do you have with God? There are some people that when they call me on my cell phone or text me, I ignore them until I'm ready to handle it. Somebody raise their hand. I know that I'm being honest up here and being transparent. I know I'm not the only one that presses the ignore button on the cell phone. That's what I thought. I got some people grinning now. Okay, there we go. Because there are some people you have to gear up and mentally prepare before you speak with them. And there are other people you can talk to for hours. That just depends on what level of communication we're at with each other. So what level of communication are you at with God? What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? Is it that every time that you come to talk to God, you are complaining to him? Asking for something? Murmuring about your circumstance? Disliking your geography? Disliking your economic status? Disliking who you're walking with? Disliking the people around you? Wanting the world around you to change but not understanding how to change it so you complain to the one who made it? So what kind of relationship do you have with God? Moses was the leader of such a murmuring group. And he lost his mind. At one point in the chapter, he says, Lord, just kill me. And let these people fend for themselves. I've worked miracles. I've brought them out of Egypt. I've given them water. They've got manna that they go collect from heaven every day. They've got a tabernacle. They've got everything they need. And they're driving me crazy. Just take me out and I'll bow out gracefully. Lead them yourself. That's the uh, Chris Hetty chapter 1 verse 1 translation. One of the most interesting parts about rules and relationships comes to the very first instance that the Israelites have once they cross over the Red Sea. Now they officially became Hebrews when they crossed over the Jordan River. But when they got into the area around Mount Sinai, here's the history part. When they got into the area around Mount Sinai, God gave them certain commandments to build certain articles for a tabernacle that they hadn't had yet. See, before Aaron made the golden calf, he made the altar of incense. And he had made the table of shewbread. And this is found in Exodus chapter 30. You can read it for yourself on your own time. I'm not going to get into a bunch of reading because... Even though somebody volunteered these wonderful reading glasses, I'm still not quite able to focus on the page. Whew. So I'm going to trust that if you're interested in this message, you'll read it on your own time. But if you read in Exodus chapter 30, 
find that before Aaron ever crafted the golden calf, he was crafting the pieces for the temple, or the pieces for the tabernacle. Now, what was the tabernacle? The tabernacle, if you would, was like the cell phone to call God. It was the red phone in the bat cave. It was the hotline between earth and heaven because law had entered in to the world, which means there was accountability. And where there was accountability, there was either punishment or reward. And because there was punishment and reward and accountability, now the way at which God communicated with his people officially changed. It was no longer about where man ruled the world. The dispensation of human government was the full reign dominion of man controlling the earth. That's why it's the dispensation of human government. God had created it and he turned it over to man. And when he turned it over to man, they messed it up. So then he had to give them law so that they could govern themselves in a way that didn't destroy the earth and the creation that he had made. So he, he takes his people and he puts them in an isolated place separate from all other people. Nobody wants to hang out by Sinai, not even the sheep herders. And the sheep don't have to eat much. They could pick out some pretty nasty stuff and eat it. They're kind of like goats. And at the basin of Sinai, where they believe the Sinai mountains are, there is actually one particular mountain amongst many peaks that is flat and black. And they believe that is the actual Mount Sinai because it is the only mountaintop that is burnt black from radiation, quote unquote, and then flattened by some kind of magical earthquake that happens on top of mountains that flattens them, but no other mountains. Which sends me to a tangent. Has anybody ever watched Ancient Aliens? It's on the History Channel. These folks can just not get to the point where they say God. We watched about 20 minutes of an episode last night, and they had all these different animals that defied evolution, that had to be engineered by aliens. They just couldn't say God. Anyway, I figured that'd get everybody's attention. So there's a mountain that's flattened out in the middle of the Sinai Valley, and it happened because of an earthquake, not because God landed there. I love how scientists just can't say God. They have to say something else happened in order for it to exist. I smile at it. So let's take it back to Aaron. Let's take it back to the base of the mountain, because we all talk about Moses being on top of the mountain and watching the commandments being written by the finger of God and having to hide in the shadow of his glory. That's one guy out of about five million people. So the likelihood of any of us being able to relate to Moses is pretty slim. We're somewhere in the crowd of five million. There aren't very many of us who are actually accelerating our spirit man enough to climb up Mount Sinai and experience a full-on Shekinah glory of God. We'd like to think that we are, but I don't see any of us raising the dead anytime soon. Haven't seen it happen. Nobody's walked on water. We've put a lot of them under the water. So you are more than likely in your spirit man going to relate to someone in the crowd. That was blunt, but you'll get over it. It's okay. 
So where in the crowd do you fit? Because as you're watching, you see Sinai up top erupting, and it looks like a volcano. There's smoke, there's light, there's fire. The mountain itself shakes. The animals can't even go close to it because if they do, they'll die. The people can't touch it or they'll die. They're pretty sure Moses is dead because nobody's surviving that stuff. So they're down in the valley. They've made all these articles for the temple. They made the menorah. They made the altar of incense. They made the table of shoe bread. They got ready to make the Ark of the Covenant. They were working on having their own articles for worship and communicating with God. They were ramped up, ready to rock and roll, saying, yeah, we're going to have this. You see that big flame up on top of the mountain? We're going to put it in this box and be able to talk to it. And they're going, I don't think so. Which is essentially what the Ark of the Covenant is. It is a gold box with shittim wood on the inside, and that presence that they saw up on top of the mountain was a physical display of the power of the God that created the earth, and they're going to put it in a box and be able to carry it with them. And then they're all hanging out in the crowd, looking around, and one guy, Moses, the one who wielded the rod, is called up to that mountain. And he stays there so long that they think he's toast. He, can't, he don't have no food. He don't have no water. He's done dehydrated and starved to death. And he's in the midst of all that fire and cloud and smoke and shaking and quaking. And I just saw a rat climb on that mountain. It's dead, so I know he's got to be toast. So what do they turn back to? Old, familiar things. How many miracles, you don't have to raise your hand and you don't have to tell everybody, but how many miracles, small and big, have you seen in your life? And in between those miracles, how many times did you turn back to familiar thinking? Seeing things that were impossible. And after you see them, you say, there is no way I'm ever going to go back to the way I was thinking before this. That was an absolute miracle. My life has changed forever. And three weeks later, you're crying in your pillow. Go ahead, pull your toes back. I'm going to I do it too. I'm, you give me a mirror. I do it too. I'm just as guilty, more guilty than most of you. Going back to familiar thinking in the midst of miracles. Because rules without relationship equal rebellion. So at what capacity was your relationship before your miracle? And did it change after your miracle? I'll put it to you like this. Before the children of Israel were released, they were enslaved by laws and by the government of Pharaoh. After the children of Israel crossed over the Red Sea and were at the base of Mount Sinai, they had to be given rules in which they were more or less enslaved by the law of God in order to survive. 
because they could not handle life on their own. They went from the bondage of Pharaoh to the bondage of the law because they couldn't relate with the spirit. And they went back to the exact same kind of rule that they just came out of. And it wasn't until Jesus enters the world that we find true freedom. I lost a few of you there a second ago. Don't worry, we'll catch up. See, there's more than one way to be enslaved. Slavery can come through your own mind. You can be a slave to addictions. You can be a slave to relationships. You can be a slave to yourself. And without the proper relationship with the one that made you, you will continue to be a slave. Without the proper communication with the one that made you, you will beat yourself worse than any man could. And you will break down that communication between earth and heaven in your own mind. That's the hard part. Now we're going to get into some psychology. Are we ready to move forward? We've had our history. We've had a little bit of word. I couldn't read it because I couldn't quite see it. Now we're going to get into some deliverance, some breaking loose. It's time to set free. Yeah, I know. I, I got you guys locked in. You know, I've got the ring in your nose and you ain't liking it. But now, now we're going to start breaking things loose and setting things free. How do we change our communication with God? At what point does our mind and our spirit pivot so that we stop continuing down the same repetitious patterns over and over again instead of living from miracle to depression to miracle to depression from miracle to depression? How do we find that middle line that glides through life that looks less and less like a heartbeat and more and more like a wave? They get eventually might turn into something a bit more flowing like a creek. So this goes back to the message that I taught about a month ago titled Water. And we talked about how water grows from a spring and the same water in the spring makes it eventually to an ocean. An ocean is chaotic. An ocean is messy. An ocean, whenever it has hurricanes, can destroy everything on land. An ocean, whenever it produces a storm, is much more cataclysmic and much more destructive than Jack's defeat. <laughs> right? And sometimes we get stuck in the same crowd mentality as the children of Israel did standing at the base of Mount Sinai. There's a quote on a film that says, people are mad, crazy, wild animals, but a person is thoughtful. What happens whenever there's a large crowd and something catches on fire? People run like idiots. Ah! It's on fire! But when you get one guy in a kitchen with a fire extinguisher, he can put it out. There we go. Sometimes we get lost in the sea of mentality of the world and the culture around us. 
The reason why the children of Israel went along with Aaron creating the golden calf was because they fell into the pressure of the environment and the culture that they just came out of. You as a Christian, as you walk day to day, or you as a spiritual person, well, we're going to take it and we're going to dial it, we're going to tune it in. Yes, my religious view is that I am a Christian, but I dial it in a little farther and say I have a relationship with my Creator, and then I dial it in a little farther and I say I'm in love with my God. And I dial it in a little farther and I say, me and Jesus got our own thing going on. And as you tweak your relationship and you refine your communication, you come to a different level or a different culture within yourself that nobody else around you can understand because it's yours. And you go from being in the ocean of madness to maybe the river of peace to possibly a creek of tranquility to maybe even even farther in reverse to a spring of life. So how do we get back to a stronger communication with God? We have to walk away from the mass culture that this denies us from having that kind of communication. If you watch the news for more than 30 seconds, you get aggravated. Anybody else? I haven't had TV in 10 years, so anytime I see a commercial, I just want to, you know, I can't handle it. I go to mom and dad's, I, I can watch a little bit of John Wayne, there's 30 minutes of John Wayne and 45 minutes of commercials. I'm on a job site with all different kinds of people, of multiple views and faiths, and I'm in Bloomington, it's weird for me, it's the most I've ever been in Bloomington, it's a weird place, I just thought I'd throw that out there. And it is an ocean of madness. And the communication that is in Bloomington is a lot different than the communication in Steinsville. And the way people dress, I know I'm weird. I'm, I dress different. I get that. But some of those folks, yeah, they're special. <laughs> and the more that you talk to people that are from that area, the more you start to think, wow, you are crazy. Have you lost your mind? But you smile and you nod your head and you just go along with it. And lately the conversation on the job sites when it comes to God, quote unquote, because I don't like using the term God because God can be a football for all that matters, but Yahweh is my creator. God with a big G. Capital L-O-R-D. You know, some people, and I hadn't heard it, so, so I mean, I've, I've read about different religious views, and I've read about different philosophies, but I've never experienced it in a heartfelt conversation. There are people who actually believe that God does not care about them, that he's a gambler that spun the world like a top and said, let's see what happens. There are people who really believe that. I'm thinking, how do you survive? And then I listen to them over the course of a week and their, their bills aren't paid and their truck's out of gas and they're stressed to the max and they kicked the dog this morning just because it was in the way and they're angry and they mess up their work and they're more angry and they're fearful and they're insecure and they're depressed and the only time they have any joy is little glimpses. I think, oh, that's how you survive. You don't. It's terrible. 
And the culture that they live in and the mindset that they live in, you have any idea how easy that can rub off on you? Angry people, when you're around angry people, somehow you get angry too, and you may not even walk in there being angry. I like to walk into the job site appearing clueless. It's much better than being angry. Wake up in the morning and smile and, and say hello to everybody. Rather than walking in looking like this. All day. Bill's laughing. 15 years of it there. He couldn't hold it in anymore. He said 15 years of it. You know, a lot of times whenever we feel like we're going to fight the devil, we think that he's going to come with red boxing gloves and shorts on and we're just going to see him coming. Or we think that we're going to see the devil in this big red scaly thing with a bifurcated tail and a pitchfork and we're going to see him coming. Or we think that we're going to have a nightmare about this evil snarling monster with snot rolling out of his nose and drool coming between his teeth and we're going to see the devil coming and you're just wrong. <laughs> Because you're not Moses. You're in the crowd at the bottom of Sinai. Now Moses, he can see that stuff, but you're not Moses. You may catch glimpses of it. You might get visions of it. And some of you have seen it. But the majority of us are not Moses. We're in the crowd. And we're stuck in the sea and the ocean of negative thinking and destructive mentalities. And rather than communicating with God on a level that allows us to accelerate ourselves to join Moses, we are stuck in the same murmuring motions that we had had the day before, waiting to see everything fall apart. I have seen more movies about the apocalypse in the last 10 years than any ever title or thought in the last 40 before films. And I've watched a lot of old films because I was around grandma and grandpa and daddy over there and most of this stuff used to be in black and white. We're finally getting into color. And the mentality from Andy Griffith to the Simpsons are two totally different schools of thought. Yeah, I went there. I pulled the Simpsons in on Sunday morning. That's right. Because it's part of your culture whether or not you want to accept it. It's part of the sea of madness that you float in whether or not you want to hold on to it. It may be thrown out to you like a buoy and you can laugh and latch on to it, sarcasm and humor, but it infects your spirit and it pollutes your mind and it defiles your soul and it's done in such a funny way that you like it. Because it floats and, it's, and it kind of gets into you in a, in a way that, look, Facebook's another one. I'm going to jump on Facebook on Sunday morning. Are you ready? Here we go. I love to watch my sister's page a lot of times because she's got all these prayerful, positive things, but there are other people that I have on my page that they are angry people, <laughs> really angry people. And I can look at it and I can read their post and it's funny, but they are some angry people. And it's a part of our culture and it's a part of what we do. It's a part of what we see every day, so it's become familiar. Just like staring at Mount Sinai as it erupted with smoke and fire and flame, the first day that that happened, everybody ran from it. But after about day 30, everybody was pretty upset with it. They couldn't sleep. They couldn't eat. They couldn't focus because the mountain was erupting and roaring. And it was no longer the magical mystery, majesty of God. It was annoying. 
because it had lost its level of communication. It had defied or gone beyond what they were used to. At first, whenever it very, in the very beginning of its happening, they were excited. They were pounding out gold. They were making tools. They were ready to enact with God. They were ready to feel the presence of God. But after the presence of God was there for so long and they didn't hear anything, they got annoyed with it. Some of you just related and light bulbs went off. Because the presence of God has become comfortable to you and familiar to you, so God can be sitting there talking right at you and you won't even hear him. And unless he smacks you in the face with a two-by-four, you won't even know that he's there. That's why whenever Elijah was out on his cave in the middle of a grotto, he had to hide from an earthquake. He had to duck his head from flames. He had to hide his face from a whirlwind or a tornado. And the elements and the natural disasters around him made him quiver and shake and dive deeper into the earth and scurl in the back of it like a rat just so that he could get in a place where he could hear the voice of God. He was stuck in the Jezebel culture of that day which is pretty close to the Facebook culture of today. So where is your communication? How familiar has God become to you? How common has God become? Where has the reverence and the relationship gone to? Some of y'all have been married for a little while, longer than I've been alive. So I'm going to say this as I tread on thin ice. And I'm pretty good at ducking, so if you throw something at me, you might miss. And there's a really expensive stuff behind me. <laughs> but there was a time whenever you could talk all night long whisper in each other's ear and be completely what's the word mom used to use twitter pated and float around on your toes and you would make sure that you smelled good and you would make sure that every hair was in place you would make sure that everything was curled up and all that just right make sure that it was you know everything's tucked in looking all good good to do and then now, at times, you're at a place where you're sitting on the couch next to each other and you're both doing this. I know that because I've, I've seen it firsthand. Mom's sitting there sewing and Dad's in the chair going, Oh, yeah, you do. But when they first got together, he was in his police uniform. His bulletproof vest on made them, that chest look real good. He was a silver fox back then instead of the white fox. He was out running teenagers in cowboy boots. He walked around looking good. And he had that swagger and that eyebrow and that grin that just posed just right. And there was no way mom was going to smell anything but Old Spice and Stetson. 
because the communication and the relationship was at a different dynamic. But I've also seen parts now as things have progressed where mom's got the snips and the tweezers out and said, Daddy, you got hair in your ear. Let me see that. <laughs> but boy, when they first got together, there wasn't no hair going anywhere. There wasn't anything out of place. It's all good. There's secrets going on behind closed doors. You have no idea how I look this good. You have any idea how long it takes? Pop out, shazam, instant. I swear he takes his hair off and puts it on the bedpost and then just puts it back on. It hasn't changed in my entire life. <laughs> it's just been the same hair. Just different shades. It's expensive hair. It's, it's expensive. It's $10 every two weeks kind of hair, isn't it? <laughs> oh. It's gone up. <laughs> so where are we at in our love relationship with God? There was a time when we first came into this walk that we were going to follow as many commandments as we could. We were going to pray for as many people possible. We didn't care if we were at IGA, Walmart, at the house, at the job site. It didn't matter where we went. I was riding with Reverend Dave one time. He was reading his Bible while driving. He then closed his eyes, took his hands off the steering wheel, and started praying while we're going 50 miles an hour down the highway. And I figured out that I loved Jesus a whole lot more than what I knew. Because that was a real story. We're riding along in the black truck, and he just first got saved. He's got his Bible on his lap reading. I think we're going to church in Martinsville, and we're headed up county line to catch 67. He's all, Jesus, 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 trying to get the Holy Ghost, looking at his Bible. And he's got his eyes closed while we're going down 46, and I'm holding on to the side of the door going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, take the wheel. That was that was a that's a that's a that's an experience right there. Stuff happens. <laughs> but he was fervently seeking something to the point at which he had to constantly have the word around him, or playing, or in front of him, or reading it. He was seeking after something. He knew that there was a power beyond his own power. He knew that there was a strength beyond his own strength. He knew that there was a level of love that he'd never experienced before, that there was a tranquility and a peace and a substance that he had to partake of. And the only way he knew how to get it was to get into communication with it. The only way to communicate with it was to understand it. The only way to understand it was to read about it. The only way to read about it was to have it around him all the time. And it didn't matter if we're in the Chevy or not, he's going to still read it. So at what level, at what purpose, at what point has your personal relationship, has your personal walk become? Are you sitting at the base of Mount Sinai, annoyed with the thundercloud, or are you still in awe of its majesty? Are you preparing pieces? Because not the entire, the entire group did not go with the golden calf. There was just a portion of them. And I'm not saying that the entire group here this morning is walking away from their relationship with God. I'm not even saying that you're walking away. 
I'm asking you, and if you feel like you're walking away, that's your own conviction, not mine. I'm not putting it on you. I'm asking you to decide for yourself at what level is your communication with God? At what place is your majesty with God? Meaning, do you still marvel at the many miracles? That, and what I mean by many, not in multiple, but in miniature. The little miracles that get you through the day. The small God winks that get you out of bed. The things, you know, I, I remember Bishop Davis saying that he would stand outside and talk to the birds. And we may think that's kooky, but that might be a way that God communicated with him. If Elijah can be fed by ravens on the backside of the desert near the brook of Cherith, Pat Davis can talk to Jesus through a sparrow. Amen? So where is your love letter to God? Are you still getting your hair put up just right? Or are you snoring on the couch next to him? And trust me, there's good parts in both of that. If you could be comfortable enough with somebody to sit there and snore on the couch next to them, you are in a good place. You're in an awesome place. You're in a comfortable place. But don't let your comfort subside your relationship. Don't let the ease of things manipulate you into the middle of a mess of things. Don't take for granted the good things while you're in the middle. I'm talking to a bunch of people who've been together a long time. I don't need to say that to that group. They got a lot of things figured out I'm still working on. But if we could take that kind of relationship and how much work it takes to maintain it and apply it to the spiritual relationship that we feel like we're lacking in, then how much greater would we be for that person that we're sitting next to? How much greater would we be for the people that are around us? If we maintained our spiritual relationships like we do our earthly relationships, what kind of people would we be? If Jesus was important to us as our spouses, and yes, I just went there, or as important to us as our children, or as important to us as a people that we see every day, if we maintained that kind of communication with him, where if we didn't get a response within 20 minutes, we were checking on it, Admit it, I'm about to call out some guilt here because I'm going to raise my hand in advance. You text somebody and you don't get a response in 20 minutes, you send another message. It may not be a full-out message. It's like a question mark. Or you can get cute with it and send a smiley face. You might get sneaky with it and send, I don't know, hey, yeah, mom, that's, that's mom. Hey, 20 minutes. Hey, still don't respond. Hey, you get six hey's if you ain't careful. Hey, 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 hey. Because you're used to having that kind of response. So if you applied the same fervency for God, like you were texting him, you might get more answers. Mm, that's hard to swallow. Need more haze. Might get more haze. So in closing, my challenge to all of you is to look in a mirror and be honest. Scare yourself? <laughs> really? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Who is that? I know. Uh, Meg took a picture, and then she walks up to my chin, and you know she like starts pulling things out of there. What are you doing? 
I guess I've got like seven gray hairs here, and now I feel like I'm a part of the group, but then, you know, I'm really not. <laughs> yeah. So, the challenge is, if you feel like, for any reason, for any shape, or for any form, that when you try to get a hold of God, there's not an answer on the other side, think about what kind of communication you have with God. And maybe your relationship with God has changed. Maybe it's in a good way. Maybe it isn't. That's up to you to decide, not me. Maybe you're waiting to hear from God about something that he doesn't want to talk to you about. Maybe you're not ready to hear the truth because he's not going to lie to you. Now, you ever done that to your kids? Hey, can we do this? I'll think about it. Hey, can I have that? I'll think about it. Which translates to no, but you don't want to have the meltdown in Walmart where you're dragging the kid behind you by the foot, looking like the bad person there. What are they doing to that kid? I want my toy! Ah! You know, you're dragging him out in the cart, and it's like, oh my gosh, just, you know, hide him under the coats or something. It looks like we're bad people. Sometimes we're still toddlers to Jesus. He wants to hide us underneath something because we're over here freaking out because he said, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. I'll think it. The answer's no. We're at the checkout. Run! That's <laughs> how it goes. It's real stuff. If you do it to your kids, he'll do it to you. Just remember that. <laughs> yeah! Hey, looky there. Hey, that, that went off. That's, that's how it is. You learn a lot about God when you become a parent. Because you see how much stuff you have to go through just to make it through a day. And how many children does God have? That's why his hairs are white as snow. They ain't even gray no more. He's lucky he's got them. <laughs> so be honest. Laugh with God. Do you know, I, I actually do laugh with God, and sometimes it's about some of you. No, it's good. Because there are some of you in this room who have such magnificent potential sitting right in front of you, and you don't even see it. And God and I talk about it, and we laugh. Yeah, true stuff. You know, some of y'all looking at me like, yeah, right, I don't believe any magnificent potential anywhere in there. You go ahead and try to psych me out. Skeptic, where's your faith? Some of you, whenever God and I talk, because we, we have to talk, God and I do, about before I do this. Otherwise, it's just from the hip and haphazard and doesn't work out so well. But sometimes when God and I talk about you all, he looks at me and he says, well, what are you doing for him? I said, ooh, what? He says, how are you praying for them? How are you helping them? Oh, he puts me on the grill and I just get fried for a little bit. It's a thing. It's true. It hurts. It burns. God's harsh sometimes. He's honest. And some of you are not ready to hear the honesty of God. You're just ready for the, I'll think about it. Some of you are not ready for the answer to the question that you're asking. You're ready for the, I'll think about it. That's why you're not hearing God, because you ask him about something that he don't want to talk to you about. 
work on the relationship part of it, not the answers part of it. So in closing, I'm not going to tell you what he said. (laughs) I'm not. Fall in love with God and figure out where you're at. And maybe you'll get the answers you're looking for. Laugh with him. He's funny. He created a bunch of us. You don't believe God has a sense of humor? Look to the left, look to the right. He's got a sense of humor. You don't think God doesn't love you? Look at what he does for you. You think God doesn't care about you? None of us have missed a meal in a while. You think God doesn't want to do great things for you? Look at where you live and the opportunities that are around you. You think God doesn't want to share this love, this opportunity, this greatness with your family? You're wrong. Otherwise, he wouldn't have brought you into a church where you could share it with them. And sometimes God's not going to talk to us in an audible voice with the clouds splitting wide open. He might just talk to you by a little sparrow sitting by your front porch to cheer you up in the morning just so you can smile and have a better day. You want thunderclouds and lightning and smoke. It doesn't always work that way. And even if it does, people still get bored with it. We see that with the children of Israel. So be blessed this morning. And all those things you're praying about, if you're not hearing anything about them, if you're not getting answers, change your questions. Talk about something different. And maybe you need to be prepared before you get your answer. Maybe you need to love God in a different way so he can give you the answer you're looking for. He's a lot wiser, a lot kinder, and a lot more loving than any of us could ever be. Be blessed in Jesus' name.